Lions of the Southland, Sunday, January 9th, 2022. Mr. Grant, we are back after a holiday break, after like a month off of rest and relaxation. Rejuvenation. How are you doing? Rejuvenation. Sure. How are you doing? How is break? Uh, where do you want to get started with the tech sphere? Or what are you? What is your New Year's resolution for the tech sphere this year? Oh gosh! Well, I, I think more than a resolution, I have to come clean with you about something. I lied in our shot sheet. I lied. Um, the first note that I have is that women's basketball is currently on an eighteen and zero run, and I, I'm sorry. I hate to disappoint. They're actually on a twenty five and two run now since it's been a couple minutes since I wrote that. Um, I can see you're very disappointed in me for that being the thing I've been lying about. But, you know, uh, yeah, Georgia, Georgia Tech women's basketball currently um, turning the Virginia Cavaliers into a fine paste uh, over over in Midtown. Why do I let you talk on this podcast sometimes? Uh, I need to make I need to make more liberal use of the mute button. There, there was the no way there. you're getting my real New Year's resolution out of me. I, I'm actually taking a strong left turn. Um, one of my high school athletics coaches was like, don't say your goals out loud. That'll make people like it'll trick your brain into thinking they've already happened. So I'm not going to say what it is out loud. Sorry. Uh, what? OK, well, we're going to move right past that. I assume tech. As a program has made some New Year's resolutions, especially a lot of its athletes do uh, in terms of their competitions for this year. Um, let's see how some of those resolutions unfolded with the first event on our shot sheet, the first new event of the new year track, which was at Clemson what, this past weekend, this uh, earlier this week. Yeah, yeah yesterday. Yeah. Earlier so- this week and this past weekend, I was right on both accounts. I'm prepared. There you go. Um, yeah, no, track was up in Clemson. Uh, the attached schools, that there were some unattached athletes, but the attached schools were uh, Tech, Clemson, and Carolina. Um, I note that uh, South Carolina gets to be called Carolina since Shane Beamer got all that mayo dumped on him. Uh, that was just sloppy. They needed to thin that out. They, they apparently tried they to, and it was still, he was still chunky. Yeah, well, uh, the Belk Bowl uh, does not exist in my brain. Uh, they know what they did. Um, and you all probably know what they did if you've been around here long enough, because I'm pretty sure we've been podcasting since then. Um, and we yelled our, about that on an episode at some point. I was going to say, this is our 100th episode. Doesn't necessarily correlate to one a week or anything like that, given that it's been like four years since that happened. But uh, no, it's only been three years. Never mind. But um, math is yeah. hard. Uh, tech track was in Clemson. Uh, they had four um, winners among the attached athletes. Uh, Olivia Moore won the pole vault with a 387 meter jump. Um, Taylor Grimes and Shalia Harris won the 60 meter hurdles and dash respectively. Uh, Grimes was first among attached athletes. That was the big caveat that I noticed in the recap. Uh, and then we had uh, Riley Perlikowski uh, in the thousand meter run. Uh, she's undefeated in the thousand in her career, two for two, um, the freshman uh, hey, maybe she'll never lose a thousand meter, and we'll be talking about a national champion. Hey, hey, hey! hey. That if is you, that baseless if you believe trends. If you Absolutely. believe in data-driven trends, 
She has won 100% of her races, and thus she will continue to win 100% of her races. Yep, exactly. Um, exactly how that works. Tech also had all five top five finishers in the 1,000, um, which just goes to show once more that we are a women's cross-country school uh, that uh, also happens to run track. Uh, no uh, no dismay or disparaging to the to the uh, short-distance gals and guys, uh, as well as the field athletes, because they're also very good. We've noted uh, uh, Olivia Moore. But um, in other field and short-distance events, uh, Cameron O'Neill, who was last year's uh, freshman of the year, as we need to say more often because we don't do a good job of uh, publishing those track uh, accolades, I think, but um, got second in the long jump, uh, Jameson Miller second in the 400 meter. Those were the ones that uh, the results kind of popped out at me from looking at the results, looking online, uh, a couple couple alums that, uh, that we saw on the flats for a while uh, were also competing. But other than that, I'd say it's a pretty solid start to the year. I mean, that's the thing about uh, meets like this is you're not really looking for pure uh one two three kind of thing uh it's more about the times uh having been swimmers i think we can we can appreciate that but um but yeah no, solid start to the year it's all about improving it's all about improving on existing performance uh and i mean uh especially for riley perlikowski uh hard to improve on an, an existing first place finish but she seems to have done it again so yeah i agree um kind of pivoting from from how we took that direction uh we mentioned uh swim that uh in a quick note uh on them today they're in a covid break uh they're in the protocols uh, they would have been in auburn this week doesn't look like that's been rescheduled uh fixture congestion is a real thing in swimming in the fall all right he used it he used the word fixture instead of match or game i just wanted yeah. to be noted he used the british term Question. and i had um, finally poisoned and poisoned his mind yeah uh the the only time uh the only time swimming does a bunch of events in a week is when it's one really massive meet. Um, but uh, yeah, so probably just couldn't make it work on a reschedule or we just haven't heard yet. Who knows? Um, before break, there was uh, a, a try meet with uh, Northwestern and Miami, but between graduation worlds and the fact that all the events were kind of uh, absurd, I think is a friendly way to put that. Um, yeah. N- no one, no one really needs to ever be concerned not a lot about of five butterfly time but <laughs> that that's about all we got in terms of the swimming updates uh they do next host queen's university that's on the 21st i believe um maybe it's the 22nd i don't know it's in two weeks um but uh you might be asking who is queen's university i know akshay sure was it's not the one in canada the one that you that comes up on Google immediately is the one in Canada. And I know that they exist because they play American college football. Uh, they don't play Canadian in the NCAA. They do, they they, play. I think they play with the American rules. I could be wrong. I'm too lazy to go double check, but they play college football of some, of some stripe in a Canadian league. They do not play in the NCAA. There is a Canadian school in the NCAA in D3, but it's not this one. Continue. Interesting. Well, Queens University uh, is a D2 school from Charlotte. Um, and I had kind of been like, who the heck are these people? Like, why are they they appearing on our schedule? Because because we do get our, our fair share of, you know, we had Delta State a couple of years ago. Um, Emory, that one makes a little more sense, you know, best school in, in D3 history. And it's like a half a mile away or, or you know, three miles away or whatever it is. Um, but Queens University, shame on us, shame on me. Uh, 
even though we've never heard of them, uh, they're actually really good and swim against a lot of D1 schools, which I kind of put two and two together when we swam up in North Carolina uh, against UNC and Duke, uh, because I noticed that Queens was actually on both of their schedules. Um, their men's are the number one in D2 and their women's are the number two uh, in all of D2, I believe, uh, if I read their press release correctly. But um, in, in terms of their results, their men uh, demolished D1 Davidson, uh, barely lost to both North and South Carolina. They demolished Emory, uh, again, one of the, the best programs in the history of D3 uh, and always in the mix for their championship. Uh, demolished Wingate, which uh, is a smaller school, uh, but then beat Duke, uh, <laughs> which, nice, uh, and then narrowly lost to Tennessee, who on the men's side are a top 15 team. Their women's team is, is top six, and I, I believe um, the, the Queens women of that list have only beat Emory, but I'm, I don't quote, no, they beat Wingate as well. Um, but, uh, yeah, uh, among that list, again, a little bit more, a little bit more varied, but in terms of their men, like Georgia Tech's a top 25 team, but if, if they just almost beat UNC, they did beat Duke and narrowly lost to a really, really good Tennessee team. This might be an interesting meet in two weeks. I, I do so want to put that out there. So here's my devil's advocate, devil's avocado take on this, though. Are wins transitive in college swimming? Like, can you actually point? No. Can you actually draw lines like that for college yeah. swimming specifically? And th- that's my point. I don't think you can. Like, you can do it for college football at a certain level, but and yeah. college basketball. But I, it, it's it's hard because of the the way that that competition is structured, I think. And the swimming one too, in particular, uh, with, um, with them having done the try meet and being like, Oh, they beat Duke uh, and narrowly lost to Tennessee. Well, you know, there's also the, the, the fact of the matter is there's three teams in the mix, you know, you win one relay and that, that it, you know, kind of means a lot more. It's, it's like when you see Miami diving, doing really well at NCAAs, would they have won a, a dual meet against, you know, any other team? No, but they, no, they don't have a swim program. That doesn't translate like that. It, championship uh-huh. format versus dual meet format versus three, four, five meet format. It, it, it's getting in the weeds. But my point is, this could be a lot more interesting than it appears at face value. And, and I think um, it's one of those, uh, especially with us being a, a podcast that really likes to talk about these non-rev sports, like this is one of those like weird narrative diamond in the rough events that, you know, it, it comes out when you're like, oh, softball's playing a really random game to open some athletic complex in, in the south of Georgia or swimming's competing against like the D2 presumptive champ at this point. You, you know, like that's, I don't know, we, weird narrative stuff that you miss if, if you're only looking at football or something like that. Interesting. Interesting. Is that a, or should we get press passes? Should we go partake? This is hey, the 21st, the, you said, right? Yeah. I sit in the press box for every home meet. It, it's pretty lonely up there, but they, they don't, there's nobody really to stop you. I just kind of go. <laughs> Interesting. Maybe, maybe we'll do a live show. Who's to say? I, again, I think that's a rights violation, but we'll, we'll see. No one's broadcasting it. Yeah. ACC Network Extra broadcasts the swim meets from home. Uh, okay, it might actually be a rights violation. I don't know. We'll we'll check with our lawyers that totally exist. Yeah, um, yeah, def- definitely our 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 many lawyers. All right, let's let's pivot to a, to team in action today. We talked about them a little bit already. Women's basketball is currently cruising 
versus Virginia, but they did have a weird-ish last couple weeks. They also were on a COVID pause. Um, Two of their first four ACC games were postponed. I guess first five um, ACC games were postponed. So they have a little bit of fixture congestion coming up next or this week that we will talk about. But their second ACC game was versus Louisville, which was a close 48 to 50 loss. You watched this game and then the men's game, which we'll talk about in a bit, which was, it was a weird structured Louisville doubleheader here in Atlanta. What were your thoughts on this game? Yeah. um, Well, I'll put it like this Uh, for the, for those of you who are regular listeners, you are um, aware that I do have at least some dog in the fight uh, in the other uh, in the other direction here being a cardinal in the fight, if you will. Yeah. If, if you will, um, uh, being my family's connection to Louisville. Uh, so with, with the men's game being pushed back to Sunday and, and both games being on the same day, it was, it was a great opportunity to, you know, basically live at McCamish pavilion. Um, so it was interesting going, obviously we, we do enjoy women's basketball a lot, but particular interest there. Um, got home, uh, changed, went over to the stadium, uh, things like that. And having known that Georgia Tech was on COVID protocol, like we knew that there was going to be some sort of uh, short bench situation going on, if you will. And that was readily apparent uh, when only seven players were able to uh, not even like warm up kind of thing, but like beyond the bet, you had Kiara Fletcher, who's who's been injured, uh, and then seven players. Um, Granted, uh, that lineup included um, most of Tech's regular starters, uh, Lorella Kubai, um, who I believe on the broadcast uh, of the women's game that I was listening to before we went live here, uh, they, they're projecting her like mid-first uh, round uh, for, for the WNBA. And with only like a, a few number of teams, like that, that's not top 30. That, that's, like, that's like top 10 talent. Um, so great to see there. Um, but again, uh, Lorella Kubai, Lenmai Lotnin, Dina Stratmana, uh, the Syracuse transfer, who's rapidly become a huge part uh, of, of the offense and the defense really fantastic on defense um this year uh, and then Nerea Hermosa and Aliyah Love um you had an interesting combination of, of size uh, through Kubai, Stratmana and Hermosa uh, as well as two of Tech's um big time scores right Lattin has been uh, a big part of of scoring of handling the ball and then uh, Aliyah Love is, is about as dynamic and athletic as you can uh expect from from a player on the floor um and you also had uh, AC Carter and Cam uh Cam uh, bleh. Is it Cameron or Carmen Harrison? I can't ever remember. Shame on me. Um, off the bench. Um, again, uh, you may have but very, uh, but the rotation is very short is the, oh yeah. is the problem here, especially, and we've talked about this season, them having or being able to work with more players, having more players available off the bench. And, <laughs> with, and this is a situation where that, that was just not possible. But this is the – and they're playing the number two or three team, depending on the poll that you look at, team in the nation here yeah. with that with that going on. And don't get us wrong. Like, against UConn, those are the five players that played a gigantic chunk of that game, right? It, it wasn't um, an insignificant amount of time. And and uh, AC Carter has been, been great off the bench, has, has been one of those, you know, sixth, seventh, eighth, uh, uh, ninth woman in, in the game. Um, I actually just saw her make a, a really good layup like two seconds ago. 
Um, nice. But, uh, yeah. Yeah. There you go. Um, but uh, in terms of available rotation, there just wasn't, there just wasn't anything. And you're going up against a top three team by really every, every respect here. Um, and, and I think it showed right. Georgia tech. Uh, if you go back and dig into the box score, um, Georgia tech was like effective throughout the game. Of course. I mean, it, it spoiler alert it was a one possession game in the end after all. But um, if you look in particular at the first and third quarter, you will also note um, that Louisville was held in single digits in both of those quarters. Like it, it's, it's clear that coming out of the half and coming out of first um, or coming out of, you know, into the first quarter, um, Georgia Tech was rested. They were ready to go. They, they held Louisville to a combined 10 points uh, in the first and third quarter combined. Uh, but if you look in the second and the fourth um, and the fourth, Georgia Tech in, in, in some serious foul trouble, too, uh, with only, you know, five or so uh, effective um, players. Uh, Aaliyah Love did foul out very close to the end of the game, which, which was pretty, um, pretty pivotal in, in the end as well. But the point being uh, Georgia tech was extremely effective when they were rested um, with a longer rotation. I am certain Georgia tech wins that basketball game. It just goes to show that they can really play with anyone. And it's really uh, a loss that came due to circumstance rather than anything else. And I think the voters in the poll by not bumping them down, despite going over one on the week um, showed that they also saw that and, and, kind of took away a similar uh, a similar take if you will so then after that they had one game well i guess they had one game before that postponed and then the game after that was postponed and now they're playing virginia right now they're up by an absurd amount i think we can start talking about that game as if it's done um so i know my track record with that and doing that with sports in this city are uh not particularly smart uh, don't worry it's done it's done we won by 34, 36. You, we're all good. Uh, didn't score, right. didn't make a field goal in the last five minutes of the game, but uh, still happens. closed the game with a uh, with a scoring run that was, you know, colossal. Absurd. Absurd. <laughs> I, I, I think I'm... we only. I, I need to pull this up. The, the stats that we led with them being on like a twenty-five and two run. Where's my quarter by quarter box score? Hold on. Um, Gosh, shame on me. I, this I should is great be radio. Yes, there we go. Um, in the second half, uh, Georgia Tech outscored Virginia uh, 41 to 12. Oof. Which, again, uh, with a longer rotation of Kubai, Hermosa, Love, Lawton, and Stratmana, and then just throwing Bates back into the mix there, um, who, who's somebody who's, you know, gets a, a fair amount of playing time, eats 23 minutes, um, doesn't take the most shots, but can handle the ball you know, instantly the offense, not that it wasn't effective against Louisville, Georgia tech forced Louisville to play a bruising basketball game, which Louisville is good at, but Georgia tech as the number one defensive uh, point scoring, scoring defense, number one scoring defense. There we go. uh, In the country, top five rebounder, Georgia tech forced Louisville to play Georgia tech's game. And I think that's a lot easier uh, for Georgia tech to pull off shorthanded or uh, in this scenario when, you know, you have your five, Core parts, let's ride uh, and see what you can do with the rest. The bus is firmly parked in front of the opposing net, just or in front of the Georgia Tech net, just firmly parked. Oh, it's a brawl. Watch, watching this team is is bruising. Lorello combined. It's, it's some big ten football. Mm-hmm. Big ten football. 
It, I mean, uh, we saw it live UNC. I think that's that might be either the second or third to last. It's it's my last game in person that that I had watched. It it's a it's a dogfight for for forty minutes. It's very competitive, very physical, and I I gotta applaud them for being able to put that much effort in, like night in and night out. And now they're about to have to do it four times in the next week. So. I, I will say, um, just to kind of put a bow on Louisville before we pivot towards Virginia and some bigger picture stuff. Um, like I said, uh, we forced them to play our ball game. They only scored 50 points uh, in their very effective game on offense. But turnovers, uh, especially without maybe as pure of a ball handler um, with, with a shorter lineup, killed us. Um, Lottman herself had had eight turnovers. Uh, that's Real tough. Uh, eight from one, one one player is brutal. You know, you, you saw it up and down the lineup. Um, and kind of pivoting into that, uh, losing love. Uh, Georgia Tech was up five points uh, when that happened uh, with about 90, 90 seconds to play, I think, is when they peaked at five. Um, and then, you know, two, two turnovers on back-to-back possessions. Louisville cuts the lead, wink, right like that. Uh, it's tied at 48, and all they need is a layup to uh, – to put them ahead. And if you look at the win probability, I believe we were at about 96 and a half percent. So real, real tough to see that. So uh, again, Georgia tech played the ball game they wanted to play. And, and I think in Virginia, you can see, even though they hadn't played in a week, that players coming out of protocol were rusty. um, They still ended the half uh, up about six points. And then uh, in the second half, just pedal to the gas. Like this was, this was the Georgia Tech women's basketball team coming back to form. So uh, just got to stay fresh for the rest of the games this week. Okay. So with that in mind, let's play a quick little game that I've stolen from our friends at Split Zone Duo uh, that I like to call Frosted Orange or Spicy Chicken Sandwich. We want to do a halfway point. It's, it's around the halfway point in the year, right? It's been two months of basketball. So Frosted Orange, it's cold. It's negative, let's say, because frosted oranges, uh, fun fact, not actually that good. Um, <laughs> you just made a temperature. <laughs> that sucks for them. Versus spicy chicken sandwich, hot. Let's get a temperature check on on Georgia Tech's women's basketball program. Where do you feel like they're at right now? Well, I clearly misunderstood the point of this because I broke it down into good, bad, and ugly. Um, uh, but but to borrow the lingo, uh, the spicy chicken sandwich, um, that would be, you know, the, the, the things that we like, the things that are good. Um, Georgia Tech upset uh, UGA and UConn. Uh, both of those are excellent. And they almost did it for Louisville, too. And if you'll notice, all three of those games, um, it, including against a solid P5 school, Purdue, which, which was a loss, all of those games are Georgia Tech forcing their, you know, well-rated, presumably better opponents to play their game of basketball, which is bruising, defensive, dominating the boards. Big and, 10 uh, Iowa bat, big 10 Iowa football, but in basketball form. And that's how, that's how you get the opportunity to spread the floor, right? When you are um, a, a real threat from, from three or from having uh, Lorella and, and Nerea uh, as very effective um, from mid range and from the post, like that, that is, uh, forcing the other team to, to respect your offense while completely being able to, for the most part, very cleanly smother their defense. And, and uh, again, Louisville, the reason you're in foul trouble there or have playing with foul, foul trouble 
is because you know you have a short bench. Uh, and but against UConn, when there is theoretically less of an issue of that, you are able to you know continue to play it aggressive. But you know it's not like they're being it's not a hockey fight, right? It, it's it's basketball, and, and they're 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 making plays. So um, I had that as the good. Uh, did you have anything else you wanted to add on there? I, I have a little bit, but I'll let you go through your whole rundown real quick. Yeah. Um, for the bad, uh, the frosted orange, uh, we've had a really short rotation this year. Uh, Passner-esque short rotation uh, due to COVID, due to injuries, uh, having Fletcher out on a long-term injury. Uh, there's been a couple other players who are in and out. Obviously, COVID, um, we, we've talked about how that's uh, affected the team with with two different uh, protocol breaks. Um yeah, it's one of those things. Louisville could have definitely theoretically, definitely theoretically, uh, been a win with a longer bench, uh, essentially having, you know, a, a seventh or eighth scholarship player in there just to give somebody a breather when need be, or to, you know, have, have a lay of love, not playing with three fouls early in the game um, or whatever that difference is there. Um, it, it's also worth noting uh, we did lose uh, Loyal McQueen to Alabama Um and uh, that that's tough. Again, you don't know how that shakes out. Obviously, in the long scheme, somebody else could have gotten injured or COVID or something like that. But uh, it's just one less uh, one less option that you have there. And and we also wish her wish her the best. Right. This is, you know, hoping that, you know, everyone gets their ideal college and, and playing experience. So no, no, uh, no regret or anything there. But it's, it's just another uh reason to point out tech playing kind of with their hands behind their backs. And then in terms of the ugly, I guess this would be the, uh, I don't know, what's a, what's an even worse option. Um, I don't know. I'd, I don't want to throw anything else as a worse food option there, but um, the, the ugly was lost Auburn. I mean, they're, they're a quad three, that's a quad three loss. Um, quad three being um, for those that don't know uh, the NCAA defines wins and losses uh, either as home away and neutral Um based on net rankings and, and Auburn, given that that was at home, it is pretty, pretty tough to see. Um, that, that doesn't get uh, looked at very well, but I mean, then again, beat, beat UGA, beat UConn, like the, the committee's not going to be like, oh, they're not going to be in the tournament. They lost this one one-off game, uh, but free throw and three-point percentage early were, were abysmal. Uh, three-point shooting has gotten a lot better. Uh, free throws slowly getting there, but um, in terms of the Purdue loss, Frankly, the Auburn loss, um, not really so much the Louisville loss, but but definitely those two uh, make a couple more free throws. And, and we're not talking about such a, you know, we're, we're not talking about number 16, Georgia Tech. We're then talking about, you know, top five, top 10, Georgia Tech. Like that, that those make a big difference in the long haul. And, and it's free points. And, and we'll talk about that a little bit later with men's basketball too, but mm-hmm. in a different context. I... I really wish you actually kept to the original spirit of the bit because now I have to like, now I feel like I'm forced to break down things these way. I'll say this much. I would give them more of an incomplete because they had, they were supposed to play Duke and Pitt. Those are the two games that got postponed and that that have been rescheduled for next week um, because of, because of the COVID break. It's hard for me to say where Tech sits in the hierarchy of the ACC, even with that close loss to, to Louisville, as, given the other teams that are in the mix, right? Duke has been putting together pretty strong here. FSU has been putting together really strong here. They blew out 
Wake Forest by like 50 points today, right? So given how good their competition at that, let's say that's 1.5 tier, right, under NC State and Louisville, but in the mix with them, it, it's, it's hard to say where they are in con- in comparison to that without more ACC game data, if that makes sense. Yeah. no, At I, least for me. I think that's a fair place to put it. Uh, I think um, just just the UConn win alone is, is something you can build a program on. So I, I don't think I'll be, you know, too upset or anything like that. But I, I agree. There, there's more we need to see from this team. Um, just more putting the pieces together, I guess, you know, between. And staying healthy. Yeah. And, and just really nailing down the schedule consistency at this stage, right, um, more yeah. than anything else. And, there's, and, a, there's a big chunk of the roster that just has not seen playing time in like a month plus. So. Yeah. And, and speaking of that schedule, like I said, like I've been teasing, lots of fixture congestion this week. They play four games in the span of a week. Uh, mm-hmm. So there was today's game versus UVA. That's now gone final. They'll play Tuesday uh, at home versus Pitt. That's at 6 p.m. on ACC Network Extra, I believe. Um, Thursday at home versus FSU, which is one you should put on the calendar. That's an 8 p.m. tip, I think, also on ACC Network Extra. I didn't check the TV networks. Um, and then the next Sunday, they're in Miami at 2 p.m. So four games, seven days. Fixture congestion comes for us all. At least they're at home, like like for the Pitt and FSU games and, and tonight. You know, you don't have to get on a plane. You sleep in your own bed. You know, you, you get that time back that, you know, maybe flight pushes studying, pushes sleep or something like that. And, and it's the first week of the year, right? Like classes don't start <laughs> yet. They got another day. It's not like they're – I'll put it like that. If you're going to have fixture congestion, uh, obviously there, there will be another week. When it when and if they make up that Duke game and, and Duke's a ranked team, um, I, I'm I'm glad if if they're going to be seeing four games in eight days that it is syllabus week with uh, less trips, if you will. Okay, so with that in mind, let's pivot over to the men who actually did have a pretty rocky couple of games the last couple almost like they they were also had like a really weird congested schedule the last couple weeks um because they played like we have on the shot sheet louisville duke and notre dame notre dame was last night duke was a couple days ago um louisville was earlier this or this this week last week um so rattle these games off for me real quick give me sort of your one sentence summary for each of them louisville more of the same duke it's in cameron Notre Dame, it was different, uh, but still the same. I know those are kind of vague, but you gave me one well, sentence. So. I, yeah, I gave you one sentence, but I think Louisville, it makes sense based on based on the box score, based on what we saw, that it's the same team that we've seen all season, right? They are competitive into the half, and then something happens. They do not come out of the half. They do not come out of half. They don't go in the same intent. Or, or, I mean, it's that it's that five minutes plus and minus right around the half, right, right yeah. around the break. Mm-hmm. That that is really the tipping point for how a Georgia Tech game is going to go. And you, they are able to keep pace with some of these really great opponents. Like 
They kept pace with Louisville for a while. They kept pace with Duke for a while. They were keeping pace with Duke for a lot of that game. It was just, a six-point game with like four minutes to play. Yeah, and, and they kept pace with UNC for an entire half. They were in pace with Wisconsin, right? But I don't want to keep saying in pace or they kept pace, right? At a certain point, those that pace has to has to be converted into actual victories. And now this team... Uh, after last night is at six and eight. I don't have their ACC record on hand, but it's definitely under 500. It's, um, oh, <laughs> they, they've won zero. But I think the caveat with that is they've played, they haven't played a. They played four of the top five teams in the conference so far. Yeah. And Notre Dame is a team that is at their level, at their talent level, at their co- competition level, uh, in terms of the way that the ACC is stratified. And that game went to OT. Right. So there's a lot to sift through here. So I'm going to ask you again, frosted orange versus spicy chicken sandwich. Which way are you feeling right now at the halfway point in their season? This is a much more complicated question than a one sentence answer. None of these games, except maybe the UNC. Well, and, and LSU kind of took a turn, but at the end of the day, like the Duke game wasn't a blowout. Notre Dame went to overtime. It was a four point game was not a blowout. Louisville competitive. Wisconsin came down to the last possession. Louisville came down to the last possession too. Um, my, even Miami, like Miami, you throw out cause it's the first game of the year. I'm not in a place where I'm upset with this team, but coming off an ACC tournament, win, coming off an NCAA tournament appearance, getting DeVoe and Usher both back, like the expectation was higher. So I think I'm disappointed, but honestly, like this was going to be a transition year anyway. And I'm very, I'm in a weird spot because I, I don't love seeing players play a lot of ISO ball and calling their own number. That's something we saw a lot in the Louisville game, a lot, a lot. And I think you saw it in Notre Dame and and Duke too, but maybe to a a little bit lesser of an extent, but like, this this feels weird to say but like the amount of times that that usher or devoe or sturdivant or or davon smith like call their own number like not that that's what sinks us obviously you can't blame it all on that but like it just doesn't feel like we have an offense that's like very team-ish a lot and and so find that and no hold on and, and you combine that with young players that are still trying to figure it out, right? Like Devo Coleman is, we, he's shown flashes. And clearly when he figures it out, he's going to be very good. I think Miles Kelly is going to be very good as well. He just hasn't had a game where he puts it all together yet. And I've liked what I've seen from Jordan Mecca so far. Um, he'll get better. Remember how, frankly, like uncoordinated Moses Wright was? Jordan Mecca, I am very confident in saying right now, he will be the next Moses Wright. I think he will be just as effective as as Lammers, as Wright, as James Banks were in their time here. But you think about that. When Banks got on campus, he had already played two years of Big 12 basketball. When I first saw Ben Lammers play, uh, when I was a freshman in college, he was already a junior. You know, like he he had played against these teams. He had figured it out. And I guess, you know, Moses, it, it took a lot of, of, of time and, and working, but he was able to work behind Banks uh, and then come out and, and have this sterling year, you know? So it's, 
it, it's hard because there's not quite a next man up like that behind him. And I think we knew that coming into the year. Sorry, I'm really, really, really going here now. But I, I think with all this put together, it's a it's a world where we're looking at a team that is more talented and has a higher ceiling than that 2017-18 team in transition, if you will, the one that lost a ton of senior leadership, um, but still had a, a star, a bona fide star in, in a Kogi who loosely translates to um, to Mike DeBoe and then uh, an usher who's kind of in, in the form of Todrick Jackson, right? Like I, I see them kind of being really in that mold. And, and, and again, it's disappointing. We just made the tournament after all these years, what's passing or building to, well, frankly, that's what he had been building to. And now it's time to figure it out and do it again. No, 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 no. It makes sense. And I, I think the big thing with this team has been consistency. And I think we've hammered this point home the entire year, right? And, and we just hammered it home as well, that if you are able to go into a half competitive or if you are able to put together 20 more, 20 competitive, consistent minutes, you need to be able to put together another 20 consistent minutes. You can't just have a third quarter nap, right? You can't just you can't just go five minutes scoreless in the middle, middle of the second half because a lot of ACC teams, and it, I really do mean a lot of ACT, ACC teams, because of how deep this conference is, will just feast on that. And they will take yep. a lead, and they will burn you. Yep. And it's it's a consistent problem that we've seen with this team is that they can't – they come out of that half. They It's either a combination of adjustments that that need to take root or – they 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 just are st- like getting shots to bounce the wrong way, and that'll eventually solve itself. But something is going on in, like I said, in those plus and minus five minutes from the halftime break, that is really, really weird with this team. Consistently, well, that's the thing too. Like LSU just beat number eighteen Tennessee. They're going to be a top twenty team in the next poll. Georgia Tech was up on them like 26 to nine or something like that at that point. Like it was, it was an, a combination of effective defense and lots of shots falling. Right. And obviously that's not going to happen the whole game where, where Jordan Usher and Michael DeVoe are each outscoring the opposing team like midway through the first half. But like at the same time, like we've seen flashes, right. They, they have that talent. This is, I think this is the most talented team raw talented team um maybe maybe last year's more talented with like the development right had and the development <clears throat> Alvarado had but just but, the 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 rostered talent just the raw like physical talent yep yeah i i think it's an incredibly talented team and it's weird to say that i'm in a point where i'm like wow next year we're going to be really good because we still have three months of basketball left right all you need to do at the end of the day like I, I got a little bit, I, I, I was tweeting from the, from the Rumble Seat account last night, but uh, I got a little bit roasted in, in my take of see Miami beat Duke, like the conference could be wide open kind of take, but like, and the response was like, clearly these are the two best teams in the conference, whatever. No, Georgia Tech on Tuesday night went into Cameron Indoor and lost to Duke by 12. And, and some of that's like garbage timey type stuff. And some of the fouls are garbage timey type stuff too. But Georgia Tech lost by 12 and was out uh, out shot uh, or out opportunity from the free throw line, 40 to 12. You lost, you lose by 12 and the other team was given 28 more free attempts at points. Woof. 
including making 17 more than, than tech may like that. That's the game right there. <laughs> I know it's I'm stupid. shocked. I, I'm I, shocked I like, that refs in Cameron are calling on, are calling games unequally. I, I feel like, shocked. I feel like every episode I come onto this podcast and say, I don't want to rag on refs or umps. In, yeah, in but it's funny team. when we have that as a consistent bid. Let's be clear. <laughs> it keeps happening. And I, I apologize for that because it's not it's not thrilling analysis, but it's also not worth nothing because it does affect the game. And this this is an example where Georgia Tech, I think, can hang with Duke. Yeah, Duke was coming off COVID break, but Tech wasn't that far off of their own. Like, it, I don't know. Duke is beatable. I think Miami is not fundamentally flawed per se, but it's by no means a perfect team. And everyone else is just going to be scratching and clawing, right? All you need to do if you're Georgia Tech is you need to go two over 500 the rest of the way. And when, when you're in the ACC tournament, it's anyone's ball game. You, I mean, as long as you win, you go, well, you go two over 500 in the ACC, in the regular season schedule, you win like a game, maybe – two games in the ACC tournament, and you are probably probably set for the, for the uh, NCAA tournament. The I, it is, depends on, it depends on the, you know, how the Miami of Ohio game is weighted um, by the committee and, and all that stuff. But I, I don't think, I think there's still a path to at, at a high level to say, okay, the passer project is still working. The gears are still in motion. If you evaluate by tournament appearances at this stage. And, and, and that's the thing too, even if they don't make the tournament this year, even if, even if they, you know, again, if you finish a game or two above 500 and and go to the NIT like that, that's still a good bounce back from last year, I think. Um, But again, you can't evaluate like passing like off of this season, theoretically, because this is such a weird in-between year, right? Like it's very strange to get, you know, half of a season of Parham, but to get DeVoe and Usher back with no Alvarado and Wright, because that team, not that, not that Parham was here for four years. He's only here for a couple, but like that, that core is fundamentally different than the one that is going to be the future of Georgia Tech basketball, right? That, that future is going to be Debo Coleman. It's going to be Miles Kelly. I'm a strong believer after the last two games in Jordan Mecca. And, and I think he'll get better too. Like, we're going to be sitting here next year, I think, in a better place to say, all right, new people that have come in, transfers, whatever. Coleman, Kelly, Mecca, like where where are we seeing them, you know, kind of harmonize with, with you know, people who are, are going to be left chiefly, you know, the the, the start of it, I guess, Sabaki, Berea, you know, like that. Power. It's weird. We're, we're, we're theoretically at a place where we've gotten old and have kind of stayed old, but like, it's a different kind of old. Like it, it, it's weird. Cause it's not, no, no, I see. Up. it's just losing half of the people that were there before. Yeah. You're in the middle of this transition period. We're kind of talking in circles about a transition period, but it, it's when you have in soccer, we talk about uh, when we're talking about world cup qualifying and that sort of thing, we talk about golden generations coming to a country's national team and then it's slowly aging out. And that's something that kind of sort of happened to Costa Rica a couple of years ago where they made, um, I think in 2018, they made the World Cup field and they had all of these really good players that were playing really well domestically and they were playing really well in MLS. Well, now it's four years later. 
right? Mm-hmm. And that team, that those players are no longer as good because they are four years older and they were 30 in 2018. They are now 34 and the age curve comes and bites everyone in the butt uh, mm-hmm. in soccer. Um, but they, but because the next generation of players is still raw, it's still a lot of undeveloped talent. They still have to keep starting those older players in, in critical moments. And so you see Costa Rica in, in this cycle, in this 2022 World Cup qualifying cycle, they're not having as good of a time um, as they were in 2014. All of that to say, all, or, or 2018, all of that to say that this is like a, a this is a phenomenon that you see across a lot of other sports. It is a transitionary period. It just really comes down to how well the program, how well the coach is able to develop that younger talent and how well they slot into those roles that older players have created for them or have taken on before. Right. And and that's what you're saying when you're relating these younger players to some of those older players that have moved on like Wright and, and, and uh, Alvarado because you have to fill those slots. You have to come up with points production, rebound production to fill those slots effectively. Um, And how they do that is how they do that and how they do that on a large scale and how they do that versus ACC competition over the course of more than five games is yet to be seen, right? Yeah, I mean, I agree. A lot of soccer tangent. There's... Again, if we're going to give the women an incomplete, I, I think the men would, would get a not ready. <laughs> and I, I, I think that's a point in midseason, right? We, we've seen passers teams really grow in the second half. And I think a lot more of the determination of this year, and if it's successful or not, is going to be stamped to, all right, what did you do in the second half? How did you, how'd you bounce back? How did you grow? Because this and that's is something a- that they that's something that they did last year, too. I mean – it took this team winning like eight or nine straight games to make the tournament last year. Mm-hmm. They had to power through the back like three weeks of that schedule and really grind out results in order to make the tournament as one of the bottom like 60 seeded teams, right? Or the bottom like 10 or 15 seeded teams out of the 68 team bracket, uh, even with the ACC conference or the ACC tournament championship. So yeah. This is not a place in the last 10 years that you've been able to do one and done recruiting, get those bluest of the blue chips and, and plug and play. Right. Um, it was it kind of got brought up in the, in the, from the rumble seat slack yesterday, actually um, the last like plug and play freshman starter star was like Josh Akogi. He had like 50 something points against Tulane or something like something bananas insane. Um, but since then, it, it's been a story of growth, right? We are just not at a school or in a position in this basketball world where we, you know, just plug, play, and everyone rides, you know. So, mm-hmm. and, I, and it'll I be, it'll be interesting. We, we know our lot in life, and we've seen we've seen good development in this program. So I I'm not ready to sound any alarms at, at the halfway point. Let fair them grow. Enough. Uh, fair enough. Talking about what's on the horizon for this team um, on Wednesday, they'll play at Boston College. That's a 9 p.m. tip, which I hate TV for making these games so late. Um, and then they're on the 15th. They'll be back in action uh, at UNC at 8 p. 
p.m. So they get one get right game over a uh, with a Boston College team that has a new head coach at the helm. Uh, and then they'll go to UNC this weekend for another test of how good this team can be. So interesting week ahead, I will say. Yep. Um, let's see. I'm trying to think if there's anything else we can take away, but I guess the main, the other thing that I would want to kind of put on the radar is uh, at some point we are going to see a little bit of uh, fixture congestion because I know that they're trying to get uh, the postponed game back on the schedule. And I think the non-con one as well, but that that's obviously a lot harder to figure out. I, yeah. I don't, that was an Alabama A&M one. I yeah. don't, I will see. I have more confidence. I have more confidence that the ACC's part of the schedule will get figured out than the Alabama A&M game. <laughs> that's just because that's what being in a conference together kind of means that scheduling gets figured out. I would love to see us play Syracuse. I don't know what it is, but oh, that one gets me gets me going. I think it's because of the airball game was being your freshman year or your freshman basketball season. That's got to be yep. it. Yep. All right. That's all we got. All right. All right. The final item on today's list, I guess final segment on today's list is all about football. Mr. Grant, there are a lot of staff updates over the holiday break. Do you want to read them off for me, please? Uh, Quarterback coach, uh, Chris Wanky. I hope I said that right. I have no idea to be honest. Wanky? Won the Heisman at Florida State uh, around the turn of the millennium. Uh, He had been at Tennessee and Bama, but I believe was unemployed uh, last year, uh, linebackers coach, Jason Seymour, he, uh, came from Valdosta state. He had been a GA name sounded really familiar, which is why I was like, Oh, hello. Um, so he's in as linebackers coach. We've got Mike Daniels from Buffalo running backs coach. Uh, and then uh, a couple of departures, uh, Aaron Joe, uh, to UConn to direct their recruiting, uh, Wisenhan to temple for their offensive line coach. Uh, and the, bullet point we had at the end is I certainly don't have any clue what Andrew Thacker's current title or role is. I don't think you do. And um, maybe we'll find out. Maybe we won't. It's really weird. Why did uh, Pat Node get the boot, but Thacker did not. And then we're in this weird limbo. I don't think this is a great sign, but that's now me editorializing Uh, anything else. There's a lot of discourse. There's a lot of discourse, I think is the best way to put it. I'm just confused, really. Um, we have a couple draft updates. Um, there's going to be uh, some scouting games over the next three weeks as well. Um, just because someone declares for the draft, it's worth noting, does not mean that they will get drafted. Um, this is just but, a, but a everyone has a shot. I was going to say everyone's everyone got a shot. A shot. Um, we'll we'll close with uh, with a particularly notable one. Uh, but uh, Quez Jackson, uh, linebacker and athlete, Azende Ray. Uh, I don't believe they have any scouting games on the calendar, but if they do, let us Not know. Um, we have Kyrick McGowan going to the Tropical Bowl. Uh, very fun to watch him in in his one year on the flats. Uh, was a big uh, big lift there. Uh, we have uh, O lineman Devin Cochran to the East West Shrine Bowl. Uh, Tariq Carpenter to the Hula Bowl. Trace Willing to the NFLPA Collegiate Bowl. And most notably, um, Wanye Thomas uh, will be going to the Hula Bowl, but also, as of this morning, I believe, got his combine invite. Uh, So that's a particularly poignant example of if you have a lane, you have a chance. So there you go. It's going to be really interesting because Tech has had a 
I wouldn't call it a tradition, but at least a pattern of players that were a little unheralded during their time on campus, but then put together a really, really competitive combine and shoot up draft charts. Uh, we had Darren Waller, Stephen Hill uh, in recent years. So I'm interested to see how Wanya does uh, at the combine. And obviously good luck to him. Uh, it'd be really awesome to see him go, uh, you know, mid round or higher. Uh, yep. I, I think that's kind of what, what we expected from him earlier this season. Um, McGowan is also one to watch. I think uh, yeah. he did not get the ball maybe as often as I foresaw this season, but when he did touch the ball, he was electric. Uh, and I really liked what he had to bring to the table. So I'm, I'm excited to see what, uh, where he goes in the draft. I, I'm really in, looking forward to see um, if the NFL likes him as much as a shifty, and do it all kind of Swiss army knife kind of back as, as much as we did. Yeah. And also um, Northwestern did. Yeah. <laughs> hey, he went to the Northwestern, uh, big 10 championship game with Northwestern too. Uh, Chicago's think, uh, big 10 team, as I've always said, that's yeah. Love, love them. Uh, but uh, transfer updates. This is a non-exhaustive list. Just a couple highlights. Um, the elephant in the room. Haha. If you will. Uh, oh. is- Amir Gibbs uh, going to Alabama. Uh, we did find that out. Uh, and then a couple inbound folks, uh, Amari Harvey from Auburn. Uh, he was a four-star when he was originally recruited. Um, Zach Gibson is in from Kent State at the quarterback position. I think, it was, I think it was Kent State. Hold on. I have to figure this out. I did Akron. not do no, a Akron. No, it's Akron, I think. Okay. Well, crap. That's my bad. Yeah. I'm, I'm reading off the sheet. This is on you. You lied in the sheet, too, bringing us all the way back around on that. Uh, but uh, then we have a couple inbound offensive linemen, uh, Pierce Quick from Bama. Yeah, they got our Jameer Gibbs, but we got Pierce Quick. It's so. a trade. Take take that, Bama. Uh, and then we Woj got Bob, uh, Pierce Quick for Jameer Gibbs. Yeah, uh, Paul Chia from uh, Clemson as well. So uh, picking up a couple offensive linemen. Who knows? Um, I'm hopeful, but we'll see. I think we also saw one of the Griffin brothers head to Coastal Carolina. Uh, that was not in the shot sheet. That's just from a tweet I remember. Uh, I don't exactly remember which Griffin brother it was. Uh, so I guess that part is not useful. But I figured I'd mention it. Yeah. Um, I know a lot of a lot of just like news items in the football sphere last month, month and a half, two months that just make you feel weird. Like very just wary of what the 2022 football season is going to look like. I don't, I don't mean to sound like make that sound like a bad, like a truly negative thing, but I'm just, it's like an perpetual eyebrow raise, you know? Yeah. I, I, I don't know. Football, football disappoints. Oh, but I got a good note to end us on uh, or not end. Cause there, there's a lot more audio content coming, but uh, spoiler alert. Um, it is worth noting that baseball is a uh, top uh, 11, 12 ish team by every poll that's been released so far. So if you're, if you're in the droll uh, doldrums of winter kind of blab about football or having questions about basketball, look for baseball. Um, they, uh, they might be pretty good. Got, got a lot of talent coming back. So we'll do my- a, We'll do a preview in the next couple of weeks. We'll do a preview or a, I guess a schedule preview. Cause we already previewed them holistically. Uh, over the next couple of weeks with them and softball, because that also is coming up uh, in just a couple of weeks here. Yeah. Um, 
softball should be good. A- ACC softball uh, is, is on the rise, and, and ACC baseball should be really good this year too. So he's only saying that because his sister is an ACC softball player. But hey, I'm not saying I, I'm I'm a big fan of uh, of of standing the ACC in our in our various uh, in our various sports. Uh, still not Jake over. Jake Chan's ACC ball. at major sporting events. I'm still I'm still salty that we did not get Pitt Louisville round three uh, in the volleyball national championship. But that's a different story, different podcast. Uh, what have we got left tonight, Akshay? All right. So here's the deal. Like we said before, like we teased before, we've done a really bad job of bearing this lead. Or I guess a good job of bearing the lead. Anyway, um, this is uh, Signs of the Southlands 100 episode. Uh, congrats, Mr. Grant, on, on 100 episodes, and congrats to both of us, I guess. Um, so well, we lost half of our hosts along the way. I've won, but at what cost? Apparently, two hosts. Um, so we polled the writer's room saying, hey, like, do you have any ideas for what to do for the 100th episode, how to celebrate it? And so we came up with the idea to collect the, you know, our thoughts, a couple of writers' thoughts on our favorite tech moments, whether that be a sporting event or a tradition or so what have you. Um, we have, at, at this time of recording, we've recorded two of them. I think we still have three left to go. Um, I, I don't exactly know how we're going to put out the audio. They'll all be stitched together in one episode. Um, but I, I think it would be a really good way to, you know, celebrate 100 episodes and, and all of these conversations that we had so far have been really fun to, to reminisce about a specific event, talk through it about, uh, talk through it, um, and just kind of kick back and, and, and hear what our friends have to say. Yep. I agree. Cool. So that will be in your feeds. You also hear our uh, favorite moments uh, to head off that episode. We're not going to do that now. You get this is a tease. This is what we call it in the audio business a tease. Um, you'll hear about that in that episode. But but yeah, go go and listen to that. I assume it'll be out before this one. So who knows? Go figure. <laughs> it's like I it's like I schedule these things or something. Yep. All right. Talk to y'all soon. Uh, plugs yeah. meantime, uh, from the rumble seat at gmail.com FTRS blog on Twitter. Uh, you can follow me, uh, you can f- try and find Akshay, but he's more mysterious. Uh, I am at Jake Grant 98 on Twitter. Uh, if you have any questions, comments, concerns, comment it on our posts, uh, comment on Twitter, uh, at us, whatever. Um, if you have any questions that you want us to see us address, uh, you can do that, uh, as well at any of those locations. Email us at compliance at oldmiss.edu. <laughs>